Welcome to the Battle and the Bride. Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. Lord God, we praise you for your word. It is eternal, it is true, it is powerful, and it is efficacious for working salvation in our lives, for rebuking, for exhorting, for growing us in righteousness. And Lord, we pray that we would grow in all of these areas, Lord, as we study these verses. Please teach us what it is that Paul is trying to convey. And Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can clearly convey uh, what, the, what Paul is trying to teach us about drink offerings. So Lord, I pray that you would do all this to your glory, to your honor and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've been studying Philippians, we've been in a series of, of uh, Paul talking about humility. And he's given a, an example of Jesus Christ, how he humbled himself to be a servant and died a death on a cross and became exalted. Last week, we saw how he said that how Paul told us that was supposed to work out in our lives, that we were supposed to do nothing with uh, complaining or disputing, but to do everything uh, to the glory of God. We were supposed to do this to become blameless and harmless without fault in the midst of a crooked generation. And we were supposed to shine as lights. And Paul said that this was, as, was supposed to happen so that he could not, when he stands before Christ on that day, he would not have run in vain. He'd be able to stand confidently before Christ. And that's when he makes this statement that, yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, the question has to be asked, what is a drink offering? And this is going to be very uh, extensively interesting, but we're not going to get extensive this morning. Uh, other men have done great work, and I've leaned heavily on the work of Peter Lightheart and Jeffrey Myers and articles that they've written at the Theopolis Institute. Um, so I owe a lot of what I'm about to teach to them as I've looked up and, and studied what they have written about this. Um, and it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. When I was a young man and I would look at the Bible, I, I would often wonder, what is this talking about? Like, I understood in Sunday school that there were some great stories. That's what I thought. There were great stories about David and Goliath and how David slew Goliath and how God worked in that situation. And, uh, and then I also knew everything that was taught about Jesus and the New Testament, but I never really had an understanding of how the Bible works together in very intricate ways, intricate details. And, and I knew that the Bible was written in such a way as to point to Jesus and it was to convey the work of salvation, God's salvation throughout history. 
But when I would read things like numbers, I would look at these numbers and these names and I'd say, what, what does this mean? This is important, but I have no idea how to understand that it's important. So fortunately, through the Holy Spirit, God has imparted this wisdom and this knowledge on men who have just devoted their lives to studying the scriptures so that we can understand what Paul's talking about here in drink offerings. Because what he's talking about in the New Testament was ultimately introduced in the Old Testament. So we're going to have to go back to the Old Testament to begin to develop an understanding of the drink offering. So if we go back and we look at Numbers 28, 1 through 7, I'm going to read this to you. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the food offering that you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs a year, a year old without blemish, day by day as a regular offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a quarter of a hen of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. So in the Old Testament, we begin to see this, this concept that these food offerings and these drink offerings, they were considered in a way food for the Lord. That's what he says, my, my offering, my food for my food offerings. And the drink offering, therefore, would also be drink for the Lord. So the burnt offerings of the Old Testament, they were food for God. The drink offerings were wine for God. But there's something specific about drink offerings. They were only offered in the land of promise. So as we read in Numbers 15 earlier, it says, uh, when you have come into the land you are to inhabit. So that's whenever he gives the, the law for the grain offerings and the drink offerings. And this is in Numbers 15. Well, what happens prior to Numbers 15? Prior to that, we see the whole series of the spies being sent into the promised land to see if it's a good land. So they go in, they see it's a good land. What do they bring back with them? Grapes. grapes. They bring back a cluster of grapes that was so big that they had to carry it on a stick in between two of them. Now, you've gone to the supermarket before. There's little things that just dangle there. I don't think they were so weak that they had to bring it back on a stick in between two guys. You can just hold that with like your pinky finger like this and be okay. This was a huge cluster of grapes. The land was good. It was flowing with abundance, with milk and honey. But because they were afraid of the giants in the land, because they were afraid of the inhabitants, they incited all the people to rebel against God. They said, we cannot go in, we cannot take the land. And so God condemns that generation to death for their rebellion. Everyone except for Joshua and Caleb. And so everyone in that generation was going to die before they could enter into the promised land and their children would go in and then they would inhabit. Now, that's where... 
the Israelites then decide, well, no, we screwed up. We're just going to go and we're going to take the land anyway. So they go in, they get routed, absolutely routed in a military defeat. And so they, they're forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. After that military defeat, that's when God institutes this, this law for the drink offerings. And so what he is saying here is that if the drink offerings were to be offered only in the land of Canaan, so then while wandering in the wilderness, God, he would eat bread with his people because the grain offerings were, were able to be, be taken. They were instituted in Leviticus 2 uh, and they were enjoyed by the priests. But God, he would enjoy the, the grain offerings. He would eat bread with his people while they wandered in the desert, but he would not enjoy wine with them until they had entered the promised land. That's why the drink offering was only instituted after they entered the promised land. And this, this was a way of God communicating something to his people. He was communicated, it's communicating that he was going to be the one to bring them to victory. He was going to be the one to bring them into the promised land. He was going to be the one to bring them rest from their enemies. So Peter Lightheart in his article, The Theology of the Drink Offering, he states, drinking wine is a sabbatical activity. It is a sign and a means of rest and celebration. Specifically, the libation is a sabbatical offering, particularly as described in Leviticus 23. Only after the Lord had defeated the enemies of his people and given his people a restful dwelling in the land would he accept the wine of the libations. Let me go to Leviticus 23.10 real quick. This is the feast of the first fruits. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give to you, when you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first, first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. And on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. So by entering Canaan, they had victory over their enemies, but they were also given an inheritance in that land, which meant they needed to take dominion of that land. By working the land, and remember, this land produced humongous clusters of grapes. So by working that land, they would produce the fruit of their labor, and then they would bring the work of their hands to offer to the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, 
the entire drink offering was poured out to the Lord. It was not enjoyed by the priests. They did not get to partake of it. There were some sacrifices where the priests could eat of the offering. There were some sacrifices where you brought an offering and then you and the priest shared that meal. But the entire drink offering was poured out to the Lord. The priest could not drink wine in the temple precinct. And all of the sacrifices had to be, all the sacrifices that were shared, they had to be eaten in that temple precinct. They couldn't be taken home. They had to be eaten there. So everything, all the wine, and it was probably about a gallon or so, uh, depending on the sacrifice that was poured out on this offering. Um, so the people didn't partake of this drink offering. It was all the Lord's. So now we come to the New Testament. Jesus Christ has offered his high priestly sacrifice once for all himself and then sat down into Sabbath rest. Three times in the book of Hebrews, the writer says that Jesus sat down. Why is this important? Because the priests in the temple could not sit down. They had to keep working. They always offered sacrifices. But in Hebrews 1.3, it says, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 12, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But Hebrews also tells us that we enter that rest when we trust in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, all of Hebrews 4, actually, but I'll pick these two verses. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So there is the Sabbath rest, but Jesus Christ has also won the victory over his enemies. In Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
Colossians 2, 12 through 15. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven all you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Remember, Paul says we war not against flesh, but against the powers and principalities, the dark powers of this age. And in Colossians, he says that Jesus Christ disarmed them and made a public spectacle of them on the cross. The shame that he experienced on the cross actually brought them to shame. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 56 through 57, Paul states, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ has entered into Sabbath rest and he has triumphed over his enemies and he invites us to partake in that Sabbath rest to also share in that victory. This is one reason why wine was included in the institution of the Lord's Supper. Did you ever wonder that? Of course, it was part of the Passover meal to drink wine. But this is a fulfillment of something. Lightheart, he says, thus the drink offering was a sign not only of God's victory and his entering into Sabbath rest, but a sign of Israel's exclusion from full participation in that victory and rest. In the new covenant, in the new covenant, Christ the God-man has entered into Sabbath rest and we with him. Therefore, we are given not only to eat of the flesh of our peace offering, but also to drink the wine of the libation. When he says the libation, he's talking about the drink offering. So when you come to the Lord's table today, know that you are coming because you have entered into the Lord's rest and we are celebrating the Lord's victory. We are feasting with Christ. When you take the bread, when you drink the cup, it is a celebration. Christ has overcome Christ is victorious. And when we trust in him, we participate with Christ. We feast with him. Just like how in the Old Testament, the drink offering was only offered to God. Now in the New Testament, Christ invites us to participate in the drink offering. So this brings us back to our passage at hand, back in Philippians. Paul says that he is being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of the Philippians' faith. So why is Paul the drink offering? Well, drink offerings and grain offerings, they were symbolic of the works of the worshiper. Paul is saying that now that he has entered into the Sabbath rest of Christ and is busy taking dominion, his apostolic ministry 
is a drink offering upon the faithful and acceptable works of the Philippian church. This church trusted in Christ. Remember, they they shared in the fellowship of the gospel. They were partakers of grace. They shared in chains and suffering. Philippians is full of suffering, but it is the most joyful epistle. It's talking about rejoicing and joyfulness throughout it. Paul says that we are to be living sacrifices in Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But in the same way, he says, the churches that are working to minister to Paul, they are pouring themselves out as a drink offering upon Paul's sacrifice and service. He says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's ministry to the Philippians is wine upon the Philippians' labor for God. Just like the Philippians' ministry to Paul is wine upon Paul's labor for God. They all shared in faith in Christ. They all suffered for their faith, but they all lived it out in obedience in all areas of life, despite the opposition. So be glad and rejoice. Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Wine makes the heart glad, and our works are wine. We are not saved by works, remember, but we are saved to works, prepared beforehand by God. But we we do have a problem. We are natural complainers. If the work is too hard, if the work is too long, if we don't get what we want when we want, Then we start to grumble and complain. Remember what he talked about in verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, without grumbling, without murmuring in your heart, without bitterness. So why can we rejoice and be glad even when we're completely emptied? It's because our works are wine unto the Lord. Our works are wine unto the Lord. And some of you have been in ministry before. You're in ministry now. Even those who aren't in an official capacity within the church, you still have faith in Jesus Christ and share in the gospel. You you share in grace. You are to work unto the Lord. But working day in, working day out, it can be exhausting. Even week to week, it can get exhausting. You may be exhausted now. And not just from the weekend. You may be completely wiped out from a life of service to the Lord. The devil would have you focus on how miserable and empty you feel. But God is telling us that even in that downtrodden, that emptied state, rejoice. Rejoice. Because what you've poured out isn't a waste. It's not a waste. What you've poured out, it is wine unto the Lord. It is wine acceptable to the Lord. 
and it is wine enjoyed by all the saints. So what is it that you've been struggling to joyfully do? Is it ministry related? Is it family related? Is it work related? What is it? Whatever it is, lay it at the cross and be glad. We are to do all things to the glory of God. We do them in faith because of our faith. We are transformed by Christ, having entered into his Sabbath rest, having entered into the victory of Christ. Remember, Christ said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Now go, therefore, and make disciples. The Christian can be glad and rejoice even in the most toilsome work because their service is a joyful drink offering to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all share in drinking that wine with God at his table. I'll end with this quote from Jeffrey Myers in his uh, article called Concerning Wine and Beer. It's a fun article to read, very technical, but it's, it's an excellent article on the Theopolis Institute. He says, wine is omega food Gratefully enjoyed after one's work is accomplished. It is perfectly suited for the Lord's Supper. The believer appears in God's presence at the end of the week to present himself and his work to the Lord in Christ. He has done his best, offering at the end of the week to his covenant Lord. Confessing his sin, the believer is nevertheless lifted up forgiven, and his faithful work that week is graciously accepted by the Lord. The Lord then calls the believer to sit down at his table and relax. Enjoy the Lord's presence with the rest of his family. Rejoice in what the Lord has done for you. Rejoice in what you have done with the Lord's help. Drink wine and experience the shalom of the Lord. Wine is Sabbath drink. Eat bread so that you can receive strength for the coming week's work. So as we come and enjoy this Sabbath table and take heart, it's a table of rest, it's a table of victory. It's easy to get discouraged There's a lot of discouragement in this world, a lot of opposition. And it's easy to look out on the world and get discouraged and downtrodden, disheartened because of what we see as insurmountable odds. We also can get discouraged when we think of our own failings, our own shortcomings. But that's why we we offer our confession to the Lord, knowing that he is quick to forgive, slow to anger, quick to forgive, abounding in steadfast love. in our own service, in our own faith. Whatever it may be, big or small, it's still an offering, it's still a sacrifice to the Lord. We have been given the command to go and make disciples. And many of us do that. You don't even have to be married to do that. But you, if you are married and you have a wife and children, you make disciples in your home, 
But even if you're single, you have service to the Lord. Your interactions with people in the church, exhorting one another, building one another up, encouraging others, spurring one another on to good works. These are all things that are pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And there are those who are called to suffer martyrdom, to suffer heavier persecution than others, and those who remain faithful in those situations. Those are also a drink offering to the Lord. But one of the great excitements of being saved, being in Christ, being born again, is that we can do all of these things joyfully. The Christians who were persecuted in the early church who sang hymns as they were put on the burning pyre. Like Polycarp, we learned yesterday, who, who would not, what was it, a pinch of incense, would not say a single word to denounce Christ, and he was martyred for it. He found great joy and satisfaction in Christ. So as we close today, rejoice, be glad. Cast your cares upon Christ because the Lord cares for you. But look at what he's done. Look at the land he's given us to take dominion, to serve Christ with all of our heart, even in the tough times, but to produce a harvest of righteousness, to not grow weary in doing good. To not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we'll do so. And I encourage you to do so as well. To ask the Lord for strength. But also to enjoy the wine of this Sabbath feast we get to participate in together as a family of God. Together with Christ. So let us pray. Lord God, we praise you that you are mighty. Praise you that you are worthy. All glory and honor, all praise, all majesty is due you and it belongs to you. Father God, we praise you that you took us who were once enemies of God, sons of disobedience, and through the work of Jesus Christ, through his blood on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, from the work of the Holy Spirit and the hearing of your word, you have transformed us, made us new. And those who were banned, rejected, objects of wrath, Lord, we now get to share in your table. And the things that we do now, we do to your glory as a sweet and acceptable offering. So Lord, I pray that you would forgive us the times we have fallen short. Minister to each one of us as we have need. Strengthen us for the work ahead. And Lord, give us glad hearts. Wine makes the heart glad. So give us glad hearts so that we can rejoice in the work and give you all glory. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.
you for listening to this episode of The Battle in the Bride. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. For more information, visit thebattleinthebride.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at thebattleinthebride at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Thank you.